I actually uh, once upon a time auditioned to be a YTV host. You you mentioned that before, yeah. <laughs> kind of a hilarious experience, but oh, okay, that's that's that. Well, the hilarious experience is always really. I don't know. For me, it was inter- it was interesting. It was something. I didn't get it, obviously. Yeah. But it was. I think it was worth doing just to see, you know, what uh, that kind of thing was like, and also, you know, I got to go to YTV again. Uh, having been there numerous times before. But yeah, I, I, you know, after I did the audition, I realized I didn't want to sell things to small children, <laughs> products and stuff. And I was yeah. like, I don't really like, as I left the interview, I was like, I don't like the producer walked me out, which was probably a good sign to try and talk to me. But at that point I had that like realization of like, I don't really want to work here. Um, so it was kind of a surreal experience. But fun. Hey everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge, and we have a special guest on the show today. Uh, you may know her as the webmaster of the classic anime information resource website, lilola.net. It's Pan. Hey Pan. Hi, how are you doing, Jesse? I'm doing pretty well myself. Uh, how, are, how are you finding the internet these days? Very different than when it was uh, back when I started Lilola, but I'm absolutely loving it these days. Oh, that's I'm good. I find I think it's a little overrated myself, but <laughs> but uh, I mean you know I am pretty much on it perpetually, so I I shouldn't criticize. So if you go to lilola.net now, you'll mm-hmm. find Pan's personal cosplay page. But if you have a few years on you, you might remember that it was once an anime resource website back around the early 2000s. Usually, when we look back to major sites from that era, we might be more likely to think of you know Anime Jump or sites like Anime Cafe with its Ridiculous Parents Guide to Anime. Um, but Leilola was a big deal to a lot of people, uh, both inside Canada and out. Or at least that's, you know, that seems to be what I found, I found it to be, uh, back around that era. And so, Pan, what year did you start the website exactly? And what, what sort of drove you to, to, to get it rolling? What was your, your whole inspiration? What was, what was the whole, what was the deal behind Leilola.net? Oh, that's a great question. I started it, I believe, in 1997. Oh, okay. and the internet was a very different place in 1997. Uh, and I, what drove me to start it was I didn't know websites existed um, back when I was watching a lot of anime in the mid-90s. So, for example, I would be watching Sailor Moon, and I would tape it on a VCR and watch it when I got home after school. And I would pause the screen when I saw like a pretty image on the screen. And this was before I knew the term screen cap existed. And I kept wishing, you know, I wish I could somehow print out this image. You could capture that, that, ephem- somehow, that ephemeral moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, or I'd like, I'd, I'd do other things. Like I would, uh, on this like old windows 3.1 computer, I typed out, like I hand wrote the entire Sailor Moon ending credits and then I typed them all out and just printed them out. And I just had it like sitting on my desk because I could. And I was collecting all this information, all this stuff about these series that I liked. And there was like sort of no place for them to go. Uh, and then a friend of mine showed me this website she made. And it was on like one of those free website builders at the time. And, you know, it was like it looked like an old GeoCities page. You know, there was like middies in the background and bad graphics, 90s graphics, but I thought it was really cool because you could just build this thing and put information or whatever you wanted on it. And I became really excited about making a website. 
And when I realized that you could make a website for free, I got, I, I, I immediately made one because I think back then it was before the dot com bubble burst and there was this notion that websites meant money, that websites were this expensive thing that was really difficult for people to make. Uh, and this is when these free websites like GeoCities, like the site that I built, Lilo Lawn, was called GoPlay, they were first coming out. So I sort of capitalized on that and I built the first version of Lilola on one of these sites. Just to basically, the first version was not very good. It was not even solely anime based. That wasn't until about 1999 when oh, really? I moved my site. Yeah, when I moved my site to GeoCities, I started to like focus on Pokemon and um, eventually Digimon uh, and Dragon Ball Z, and I, I and then it sort of became this bigger anime website. So so it started out basically as sort of your your personal hub. Yeah. Absolutely. And there was like, there was hilarious things on there. I think there was like pictures of like Star Trek Voyager characters and like, there was a Sailor Moon section and then there was just like really random other stuff. Like I think I had a section dedicated to like Savage Garden middies. Like it was really random. So it really was just sort of, sort of your personal sandbox. It absolutely really just started from that and then kind of grew into something really, really substantial to, to a lot of people from that. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I, I certainly hope that people don't find my old GeoCities websites if they're still <laughs> kicking around somewhere. But, I mean, the fact that you were actually able to take that kind of groundwork and, and build it into something substantial, I think that's that's pretty cool. Thank you. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of work. Um, I actually ended up moving to uh, – it didn't really grow into the site that people knew until I moved to a subdomain of another website. And that's when I was able to get like a, what's called FTP access, which gives yeah. you like, yeah. And I basically was able to update the site and do a lot of things with the layout that I could not have done with sites like GeoCities. Um, so that's when the site really took off is after that. Yeah, I know. I know that whole journey for sure. So throughout the whole course of the site, did you do everything yourself, including graphic design and any any coding you needed to do? Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, it, if you actually look at the coding, like I coded everything in Notepad, so it's pretty rudimentary. Um, even if you ran parts of my site through one of those like HTML checkers to make sure everything is coded well, like you'd find like 50 errors that was not coded well. It worked. That's what mattered. Um, mm-hmm. It was very simple. The, the layout everyone is familiar with is basically just very simple table coding. In terms of graphics, I did all of that as well, uh, usually using a version of MS Paint from like Windows 98 and a graphics program from around that same era. And I, those are the same programs I use to this day, and they've held up pretty well considering. Yeah, I, I mean, especially with your graphic design, I was I, I was just perusing through archive.org and looking at your old stuff. It, oh no, uh, <laughs> it's I, I, still I, there. Well, every everything is. I'm I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> you still want to see the old Zon in Canada? It's it's, it's all there. <laughs> uh, you'll if you look at it, you'll quickly realize why I don't have it up anymore. But it's there. And but yeah, the, I mean, the graphic design was was good. It holds up pretty well, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think. But I mean, it's all really, really old programs. And there's the same programs I use to this day. I think it's kind of interesting. Like I've never, I can use Photoshop, but I don't. But hey, sometimes, you know, the tried and true methods are what work. So. Uh, oh, speaking of your graphics, I mean, what, what do you still have more of an affinity for? Yu-Gi-Oh! or Cardcaptor Sakura? Uh-oh. Uh, Cardcaptor Sakura. <laughs> Cardcaptor Sakura? Cardcaptor Sakura. I love that show. I absolutely love that show. I recently, Oh, recently now, 
probably about six years ago now, I bought the entire thing on DVD. And oh, it was a yeah. totally, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Because up until that point, I owned it on a series of fan subs, like bootleg fan subs. Yeah. Um, so owning it on DVD and rewatching it on DVD was such a treat. Absolute treat. You were you were quite attached to Yu-Gi-Oh as well. Do you still, absolutely? Do you, do you, does it still have a special place in your heart? It does in more of a nostalgic way. Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched or been into Yu-Gi-Oh since it was like airing on YTV. Yeah. But you know, I still loved. Like I, I remember watching that show on YTV and being so excited about it and cosplaying from it. And so, like, you know, if, when you're that attached to a series, even for a short period of time, it always you're always going to resonate with it in some way, right? So. I still look back on Yu-Gi-Oh fondly, sometimes with a little bit of laughter involved. Um, it, but it, it never captivated me. It all, that, <laughs> that the whole Yu-Gi-Oh craze kind of kind of eluded me completely. And I mean, I can't say it was necessarily just because of age either. But mm. I was technically outside of the demographic for that yeah. that show, but I still enjoyed it. I don't know why, uh, in some ways, but I definitely enjoyed it. It was fun. I think that was my reasoning. I yeah. just had fun watching it. On your site, you had a real affinity for things that were running on TV, namely stuff on YTV and Fox Kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how did you decide what shows to focus things around? Was it just sort of an, ex- an extension of this idea that Lee Lolo was your just, just sort of your personal expression of your interests and what you what just what you loved as an individual, and that's what warranted you know, you know what you collected information on, or what was it a matter of demand, or just things that you thought that things that you thought were worth cataloging and and talking about? I think it's a bit of both, but I think for the most part, you know, I wanted to make sections, or I was passionate of making these sections about series that I liked, that I enjoyed, that in a lot of ways captured my imagination. And, you know, when you're passionate about something, you're excited about something, that becomes your inspiration in a lot of ways to create. So I think that's where that came from. You know, I, for example, Digimon, I love Digimon. And Digimon was and still is, I think, well, now the site's down, but for the longest time was the most popular section of, of Lilola. And I was so passionate about Digimon for the longest time. And that fueled me to create sections, to write about it, to do news updates about it, to you know, to create content. And I think, you know, if I wanted to go online and find information about a show, I figured other people would want to go online and find information as well. So that was sort of how I decided what to focus on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people had sites that were sort of similar to yours, but I'm I'm still amazed by just the extent of information that was was just all gathered and cataloged on there. And it was all done by one person too, which you know is pretty much. There pretty was impressive. a couple couple sections were done by other people. Like my friend made the Fushigi Yugi section, and uh, some other person made some other people um, that I knew made. For example, I think there was a Tenchi Moyo section. Ugh. I believe. Uh oh, uh oh. I yeah. Hey, some people are still attached to that series for some reason. I've I don't. Never, I don't I've understand. I've never seen it. I've never seen. It. It's. I. You know what? I didn't like it then. Uh, so. I, I, I never got it. I never understood how that, how that show took off on Toonami. It's, that's always just eluded me. It's weird. But yeah. But the sections that I made were like, like the ones I loved. And I think, I don't know. I, I think sometimes when you're passionate about something that just shows mm-hmm. and that resonates with people. So you started the site in 97. 
mm-hmm. and it it eventually gained quite a significant following. How long did that take? Was there anything that you thought kind of spurred that? Absolutely. Um, so I moved to GeoCities in, I think, 1999. And I think it was a couple years after. It was, I think, around 2000 that I moved to a subdomain where I could control a lot of things. And it was in on GeoCities that I started to gain a lot of hits. Uh, when I moved to that subdomain, within a couple months, I had more hits than the site that was hosting me. Like, very, very quickly. Digimon was the big thing. Digimon was on YTV, it was on Fox Kids, it was this huge thing. I loved it, I everyone I was talking to was watching it, we all were enjoying it, and I was, you know, updating constantly about it, and I think that that brought in a lot of hits to the site. And I think uh, one thing that I think made my website so popular was that I consistently made daily like I had daily updates I updated every single day something and so every every day someone knew if they clicked on my website there would be something new there and a lot of websites didn't do that Uh, and it kept people coming back because I don't know like you're browsing the web you know if you come to my website there's going to be something new for you to look at it might just be a comment it might just be a new picture of the week it might just be you know who knows what but there's going to be new content for you so I think that that brought in a lot of people. And I think it was, I'm not 100% sure, but I think by like 2001, 2002, I had broken like over a million hits back then, which was a really big deal uh, at the time. Um, we forget like YouTube uses more bandwidth in a day right now than the entire internet used in a year back then, right? Mm-hmm. So... So it was, it was a very big deal. Uh, and my updates were also very like kind of blog-ish. I didn't know what the term blog was. I don't think it really, I, I don't even know if it existed existed, for a lot of the time at that point. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I mean like, but it was very sort of blog-ish. Like it was very, it wasn't just like, here's this update. It was very, it was written in first person. I put a lot of myself into the site. Uh, so my daily updates, it was like this almost like daily update slash my anime blog was sort of how uh, yeah. the did, site took off. Yeah. Did it ever seem like a balancing act to you to have the personal aspect of the site and sort of the informational aspect of the site? The, these days, we, we see those as completely different things online. I mean, we, ha- mm-hmm. we, have, we have wikis for information and we have social media sites like like Tumblr or Twitter for mm. sort, of, sort of constructing our online identities or expressing our, ourselves online. Uh, but did you ever did you ever find it to be a, a challenge in balancing it, or did it did it seem natural? It's just what I did. Like I mean that that notion of that split didn't really exist yet. Again, the notion of what a blog is didn't really exist yet, at least in like sort of the popular imagination. So I was just doing what I was doing. I wasn't necessarily conscious that I was, you know, doing something that would be seen today as different. Um, but I think you know, for me giving yourself like putting parts of yourself into your content was something that was really important to me that that became in some ways part of the draw for the website so I remember when I finally took the website down and stopped updating it I felt really strange like I felt like wikipedias and all these like the ability to just google and find a website that will give you straight information I found that sort of intimidating at the time I was like, well, I can't compete with all these sites that are being updated by 20, 30, who knows how many people. There's this, you know, you go to Google, you type in something, you can hit, uh, you know, Wikipedia's, you can hit 
all these other sites that'll give you all this information in often a very, like a very non-personal kind of way. And I found that very intimidating. I found that, okay, well, I can't compete with these websites. So you saw it as more a matter of competition rather than a matter no, of things, I, things gro- growing in a different way? Hmm, competition is not sort of the right word. I think it just, it seemed, I think I'm going to use the word intimidating again. I think okay. it was just like, I don't know. I think I felt like the internet was changing and I was sort of almost being left behind by that change. Right? Like people were looking for this much more impersonal information rather than this sort of like bloggy like content. That's how at least how I felt at the time. My views on that have sort of changed, uh, especially with sites like Tumblr where you sort of insert yourself, you know, in your commentary, et cetera, you end up inserting yourself again mm-hmm. into your, you know, your the way you feel about certain shows. But I mean, when I was, this is probably around 2007, somewhere between 2005 and 2007, I felt that there was like this shift happening and I felt like my website was sort of almost like a relic of the past as I saw this shift happening. You mentioned Tumblr as sort of a, <laughs> a vehicle for engaging with fandom, which the way, the way we see people act on Tumblr and the way that we see people talk about their fandoms, talk about fandoms related to you know, fan works, fan art, fan fiction, and the relation to things like, like, like social issues as well. The way it all ties together on Tumblr. It's not exactly something new, but the fact that it's kind of, kind of been distilled and divorced from the sort of information building aspect is, is, is still a, a fairly recent thing. I mean, what, what is your attitude toward sort of the wiki culture or, uh, the, the sort of information building culture that we, we see on the other side? I think it's actually, for the most part, despite, you know, regardless of what I just said, I think it's actually pretty cool to be able to just type in something on Google and get information on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've only recently learned that there are companies pay to like edit Wikipedia. Um, and that's made me a little bit more wary of sites like that. But it's it's definitely not something that we should see as entirely democratic. That's for sure. For sure. <laughs> even though, even though it purports itself to be. Absolutely. But I, I think it's really cool to be able to like there's so much more out there on the Internet today is sort of what I'm getting at. There's so many more resources. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous of, of youth today that get to grow up with all these resources, this ability to access, for example, like I'm a cosplayer, access, you know, thousands of tutorials on how to build things that were none of this information existed when I started cosplaying or access a lot of, for example, social justice issues like information on social justice issues. I think there's fantastic resources out there that weren't, that didn't exist um, 10 years ago. And I think that that's wonderful. I think that's absolutely wonderful. A lot of things like that relating to sort of social justice and, and feminism. I, I'm, I'm sort of getting into what I'm writing my thesis on here. Of course, <laughs> um, A lot of it has been around for ages, but it's, ne- it's never been as open as it is now. Back, I mean, there were, there were, there were Usenet groups that dealt with feminism. And of course you had, Live journal communities, which were largely, you know, usually sort of sectioned off or or blocked to to outsiders, and and the same with the Usenet groups, they were usually heavily moderated because trolls were always a persistent issue whenever you're whenever you're talking about things like that online. Yeah, and you you also had things like I'm thinking of the 90s. You had zine culture. You had a lot of offline, like offline. That sounds really strange. This sentence is going to sound really strange, but. Like we're, ta- we're talking about the, we're talking about the '90s, so we <laughs> kind of like, have to put like it in a different perspective. Feminism, social justice—none of this is new. 
it's sort of newish on the internet in the way we're understanding it and the way we see it now. But I mean, these issues have been around for a very, very, very long time. And people have been engaging in discussing these issues and working through these issues and, you know, advocating for justice, et cetera, et cetera, for a very, very, very long time. Uh, and I think that that needs to be remembered yeah. in some ways. It, it's really, it's only thanks to social media platforms that use hashtags, give people a banner to gather under that they've, you know, you've really been able to attract visibility to things. Cause especially on Tumblr, you can put multiple hashtags on something. So you can be, it, it, it can go under your fandom hashtag and the hashtag for a social issue, which just sort of exposes people who are just looking for, for, you know, Teen Wolf or Sherlock pictures to a whole bunch of stuff they may never have expected to find. Absolutely, and there are fantastic critiques uh, of both of those shows that exist out there. And it's interesting when we see social justice issues come up on social media with this sort of unprecedented level of exposure. And and I think the way that people react to that sort of new level of exposure, I think, I don't know, I, I find that it dictates a lot of the sort of politics and communication that we see online these days, too. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, you know, I, I also find it really, really informative because, you know, it's like being in a media studies class in some ways. It's that information that you wouldn't always have access to otherwise. So, like, let me try and put that another way. So let's say you're watching a show and you go online and you read this really, really good critique, let's say, about disability. Mm-hmm. And it's a perspective that you would normally, you know, in your day-to-day life, you might not have, especially about that piece of media. And suddenly you have access to it. And it changes if you're, you know, if you're open to these kind of critiques, it it can, I feel like, be really, really informative and humbling and in a lot of cases can be really wonderful because it can change the way you think about certain pieces of media. It can expose you to critiques you had no idea about before. It can make you, when you're watching a different show, say, wait a second, does that critique from this show apply also to this show? can make you question, you know, your own, let's say, able-bodied privilege, whatever it is. So I think that these, um, let's say, social justice critiques we're seeing of a lot of popular culture, popular media is actually really, really fantastic from my perspective. Do you think that the sort of backlash we're seeing against, you know, people complaining about things like social justice warriors, which is such a strange, you know, I, I, I would argue that the term used to have some degree of nuance to it, but ever since Gamergate, it's just become a complete pejorative that means nothing. Uh, and it's also such a weird pejorative too, because social justice and warrior, I, I would think are all kind of positive terms to attribute to some, maybe not, maybe not warrior, but you know, I'd imagine most gamer gators are pro war. <laughs> so they would, they would find it to be positive, but do you, like, do you think that this sort of backlash is a temporary thing? Do you think that, you, you know, as we, as aware, as people get more immersed in awareness that things will improve or do you think this backlash is going to intensify? I don't know if that's a question I can actually answer. I think, I think that, you know, what I would love to see is that people be open to these critiques and these different ways of understanding the world that might be very different than their own or, you know, might make people uncomfortable. I mean, recognizing that you have privilege makes you uncomfortable generally, right? So I think there's a lot of just automatic defensiveness when certain arguments are brought up. 
but I think that it's so important to have these conversations. And I, like in an ideal world, I, I would hope that it would, you know, greater awareness would make these sort of critiques more, um, I don't know how I feel about the term, but more mainstream, mm-hmm. um, so that they were considered almost like the quote unquote norm and these ridiculous challenges would, were not seen as the norm. I think like ideally I would love to see these kind of critiques taken a lot more seriously in, in the mainstream. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in them. Again, you're, we're seeing, you know, a lot of perspectives that we did not necessarily see online or did not see online, uh, did not have access to online like we do today. Uh, to the extent that we do today, we're we're hearing all these voices, and I think it's so important that these voices get heard. And I think ideally, I would love to see this greater awareness change the way people think about the world. But I don't know if I can actually answer that question because it's a big one, and I have it, no it idea is a big question. I know. I have no idea what the future holds. I I I know what I want the future to hold. Um, I know the future that I would like to you know help build, but I that's all I can really answer, sadly. I think that leads into my next question at the very least. How do you feel that you've changed as a person since the time you ran the old, the old Lee Lola? Huh. Um, I think it's easy for me to forget how young I was when I was running this site. So in 1997, I think I was about 12. Well, I know I was about 12 years old. I was really, really young and yeah. the site was really popular between like 2000 to 2003 ish. And what was I? 15? 15 to 18. And when I go back and I reread content on that, on the site, I honestly, I cringe. I, I think it sounds sort of awful and it, I feel like it doesn't sound like me, but that's because it was in a lot of ways written by a different person. A lot of people resonated and liked it and I liked it at the time, but you know, how many of us are like, you know, as we get older, how many of us are still the people we were in our teens, you know? And that person, you know, who I was in my teens is part of me informed who I've become. But I think one of the reasons I find reading the site kind of cringeworthy and embarrassing is it's kind of my awkward teen years in website form. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm like, oh, up there for all to see. <laughs> yeah. And it's on it's on, as you pointed out, it's on archives. So I'm like, oh, great. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm sorry for advertising that. <laughs> it's OK, you know, but I think but I think I think, you know, you know, I grew up so much in my in my twenties, I mean, you have like life experiences, you have good things happen to you, bad things happen to you. I feel like I've learned a lot about compassion and humility and vulnerability and being open to different ways of knowing to challenge the ways I look in the world. And as we've already sort of discussed, you know, I'm a big social justice person in real life. And I don't think I could have been that person. I was not in a place where I could have been that person back then. But at the same time, you know, that happened to be who I was at the time. So I think I've changed um, quite a bit, but it is really like when I read the site, it's my awkward teen years. What about the community surrounding the site? I, I can't remember if there was a forum or if it was just comment fields or if you just interacted with people through, through email. What were your experiences with, with that? Uh, it was mostly through email and it was mostly really positive. Uh, I got actually way too many emails for me to reply to on my own, but I tried anyway. I was getting at some point somewhere between three and 400 emails a week. Wow. It was ridiculous. And I like I would come home from school and do my homework. I was in high school uh, and I would come home from school, do my homework, and then I'd reply to emails for like three or four hours. And it was it was a little bit overwhelming. Um, I had 
but most of most of the things people sent me, like most of the messages people sent me, were very very positive. I had a couple negative unsettling experiences, but for the most part, it was really wonderful. And I also did once upon a time I did a segment on YTV about cosplay. And to this day, I think people come up to me and, uh, you know, tell me, you know, I was the one who introduced them to cosplay. And I've, I always feel very happy and very humbled when I hear that. Right. Was that was that on one of their Anime North sort of segments? Yeah. yeah. It was. And then, I, you know, I still get messages to this day. I got a message like a week and a half ago on my DeviantArt, I think. And someone sent me a message and they were saying, you know, I was talking to friends and we were talking about websites we used to visit back in the day, and we remembered your website, and I visited it, and I found your cosplay site, and then I found your DeviantArt, and I'm sending you this message. And I find that 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 kind of thing, I don't know, it still blows my mind. I've gotten a lot of them over the years, but I'm still like, you know, you bothered, you remember my website, one. Two, you've tracked me down to tell me this story. And that's that to me is amazing. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm sort of in some ways overwhelmed with feelings when I hear that. I'm just kind of blown away by the fact that you would get so many emails that your sort of personal site yeah. meant so much to all these people to the point that you got over 400 emails a week. I can't even imagine I think, that. I think it was probably closer to like 250 to 350. There That's, was some week. That is still, still a lot. Yeah, it's still a lot. <laughs> and I, and I was really bad with uh, replying to them promptly. That was the other thing. I just got over, I got so overwhelmed. Uh, all the time but yeah and people would send me sometimes just you know sometimes it would just be commentary on something I posted because I didn't have a comment section mm -hmm. so a lot of times email acted as sort of like the comment section on your website on my website but sometimes it was on like content sometimes people were submitting content and sometimes people would just be like how are you doing what's up kind of thing too right so it was a it was a it definitely ran it was a very wide range of, of emails I got and I had someone who wrote like, sent me an email, like, like clockwork, like once a week, she wrote like a fanfic about me and her and oh, like the, wow, the, greatest, and the, the greatest honor of them all. I know. And then like, I think it had the rock in it for some reason. And I don't know she sent me like a new chapter every week. And I thought that was kind of cool, actually. Um, I think I printed out some of those emails like, somewhere in my basement. Now I, I just, just now, now I just wish, <laughs> you know, you'd make an appearance in one of the new Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> Oh no. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, definitely had an impact on people's lives. And it's something that to this day, I don't, cause again, when I look back at this website, I'm like, it's my awkward teen years. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Oh no. Right. But that definitely resonated with people. I still, I still find it amazing. Like when, when you, when you look back at the other sites, like I mentioned at the beginning, other, other sites that sort of categorized and, and, and made information, I, I just find it amazing that you get that much feedback i mean you didn't have a forum like many sites but mm -hmm. just the fact that people would want to you know engage with you that directly that's that's not something you see today at all it was it was really cool it was oh definitely overwhelming like yeah. it, i i have sort of like i'm really bad at checking email to this day replying to emails because i sort of like i now check my email like once a day and that's it because I still have this like lingering feeling of being overwhelmed from back then because I would like clear my inbox and I'd like check like an hour later and be like, no, the work is all back. I didn't mind the work in some ways. It was really nice. It was just to get these messages. It was just very overwhelming for me. And I didn't, you know, to this day, I don't know how exactly I'm still like blown away by that response. Again, your site was unique in a lot of ways. 
Uh, was there anything you thought was uniquely Canadian about it? Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, especially for the first sections that were on the website, all the anime I was watching was anime that was on Canadian television. Like, we're talking, you know, what it was on there. Sailor Moon, Digimon, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, a Monster Rancher. These were all shows that I was watching on mostly YTV and Fox Kids. I also did, I'm going to date myself here, I used to do, like, maybe a daily one of my daily updates every week would be I'd go through the paper TV pay, like TV guide that came in the Saturday newspaper, which don't exist anymore. And I would like go through the listings and I'd pull out all the YTV anime listings and Fox kids anime listings that would air in, I guess the Toronto area, which is where I am. And I would just compile them into a list. So if you're interested in watching, you know, anime on, on Canadian TV this week, here's what you can find. Uh, also, all my when I started going to conventions, all my coverage was um, pretty much all my coverage was of Canadian conventions and Toronto area conventions. So that was also Canadian content for sure. I, I remember you came to that one anime evolution. I think I went to two anime. Oh, evolution. two! Oh, I missed you at one of them then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, that was a fun experience. One of those anime evolutions was really surreal for me. Uh, it was a couple years after one of those, like, Anime North cosplay segments, uh, that I was in had ran on YTV, ah. and I wore the same costume, an upgraded version of the same costume I had worn in that segment to Anime Evolution, and this is really random, but I had this, I was, it was a character named Goku from, uh, anime called Sayuki, and I had a, when I was first interviewed by YTV in this costume, I had this wooden staff it was a red staff and it had like almost like gold detailing at the end and i made the detailing at the end out of foam golf balls that i painted and they were shown off in the in this segment on ytv but when i went to anime evolution i built a whole new wooden like staff and it was all completely made of wood and when i was walking around in anime evolution people kept coming up and touching my staff oh and i couldn't figure out why and then they i it dawned on me they were trying to figure out if it was made of foam golf balls and to figure out if I was the same person they saw on television. And it was like, what? It was kind of a really surreal experience. Um, also, but- if I if I recall correctly, your site was the one that first broke the news of Inuyasha starting on, on YTV, too. It might have been. Yeah. I don't remember. You, I re- actually, I distinctly remember you beat me to that one. <laughs> yeah, or you, have- you, Or rather, that's where I found out. I had I had a couple really good contacts actually at YTV that helped me out with some of that stuff. Um, I was really really lucky. And if that person is uh, listening to this right now, thank you. Um, and they got me a, a few scoops over the years for sure. It was really kind of cool. Yeah, there are some really good people at YTV for sure. Absolutely. Do you ever watch the network now? No. No. <laughs> I barely watch television these days. It, it's not for us, but. You know, from what I've seen, I, I, I respect what they're doing. I think it, it seems to work for them. It seems to be mm-hmm. well run. So. Mm-hmm. so you're still active in the cosplay scene. Can you tell us anything about what sort of you're up to with that these days? I'm still cosplaying. I'm still cosplaying. I haven't been cosplaying necessarily anime characters lately because I haven't been honestly watching that much anime. Uh, I've been cosplaying a lot of, like, for example, comic book characters because that's what I was up to recently. Like, that was what I was reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still doing it. I still love it. 
I'm actually making anime costumes for Anime North this year. <laughs> I'm doing a, a Sailor Moon like school uniform, and I'm thinking of rewearing Naruto because I recently reread slash finished the manga. But I'm still very much into cosplay. I still absolutely love it. Love it. I I I saw the picture of your Go Go Power Ranger, and I think <laughs> that I still chuckle at that every now and again. It was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was a lot of work for a terrible pun. And for anyone listening who's not sure what this is, is I made a historically accurate 1960s, like out of a pattern from the 1960s, uh, go-go dress, but I patterned it after like a the Mighty Morphin pink Power Ranger. And I wore it with go-go boots. So it was a get it, a go-go Power Ranger. I think it's hilarious. Every so often, I've worn that at a couple conventions and every so often people like do a double take. And you can tell that they've got it, and the rest of people are like, I don't understand. What is she doing? <laughs> to be honest, I probably wouldn't understand without a prompt of some kind. <laughs> but it's, I think it's fun. Like, I love, that's one of the reasons I love cosplaying. I, it, it's a lot of fun for me. And you're still, you're still following Power Rangers stuff too, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. I didn't watch uh, the most recent uh, series before. Currently what's airing is Dino Charge, but I didn't I didn't really watch Megaforce, but oh, I Oh, Megaforce is the best. And by no. that I mean by that I mean it's no. the worst. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I haven't I I've seen three episodes. I couldn't um bring myself to watch more than that. Megaforce is interesting because I find the cast is actually extremely likable, but at just as a show, it's bad on every level. The script is bad, <laughs> the as an adaptation it's bad, and then it's mashed together with, with Super Megaforce, but they take um the, 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 those two shows, Go Kiger and Go, what, whatever it was called. I can't, I, I can't remember the exact Sentai titles, but they mash it together in this completely incomprehensible manner. And, oh, and then we have Robo Knight, who, oh, he's, he's a magic. Actually, I was, I was introduced to the show. I don't follow Power Rangers, but so, somebody showed me the Christmas specials, uh, Power Rangers Megaforce Robo Knight Before Christmas. It is the most outrageous thing I have ever seen. Robo Knight wants to learn more about Christmas, so he <laughs> so he poses as a toy in a shopping mall, and then he gets taken away. What? Yeah, then he then but it turns out all these toys are being donated to needy children, and this lady comes in and says, "Oh, we have to get these toys to Africa as soon as possible." So he gets no, shipped. Uh, yeah, this is it, awful. It is it it's probably even worse than you're imagining right now. No, no, <laughs> no good can come of this. No good does come of it. It oh, I, I was I was blown away by this. I couldn't believe it was made in 2013. You could watch it on Netflix if you want. It's no, it's okay. there. <laughs> okay, okay. I skipped. I skipped it. I watched Samurai the season before it, which was not a good season. It was very stiff. They like copied the storyboards from the Japanese series, and it was a very also it's a very Japanese series. Samurai was based on a. I I heard it was actually a faithful adaptation, but didn't well, but just didn't work. It didn't work in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think. Like Megaforce, they didn't give the cast a lot of things to do. Like, they weren't allowed... There was no space for passion or for being interesting. It was, like, follow the script as, like, robotically as possible. I think that was problem one. And especially with Samurai, I mean, Samurai... We've never had an East Asian Red Ranger, okay? We've never had one in, like, 20-whatever years we're up to now. And here's a show where the Red Ranger's name is Jaden Shiba... And they hired like a white actor, and I'm really angry at casting for that. It is that that, that is just pain. to this day that I is am painfully so ironic angry. on a few levels, actually. Absolutely, yeah. and I'm so angry about that because this would have been the perfect chance, you know, to 
to have a, in this case, a Japanese Red Ranger. And you technically had a Japanese Red Ranger. You had a very Japanese show. I mean, the show was called Samurai. You have, there's kanji everywhere. Like, it's a show that would have been, could have been a lot better than it was. Uh, and they could have probably taken a little bit more chances with it than they did. The good news is that the series, the current Power Ranger series, there's only been like eight episodes of it. Dino Charge. It's not unproblematic, um, but it's a fun series. It's, it's sort of like what Power Rangers has been lacking for like the last four years. So I'm really, really, really enjoying it and very excited about it. I saw that I I haven't watched it, but I noticed there's qu- quite a bit of diversity in the cast in that one too, which is it's wonderful. Yeah. And the the cast is aware of like of the representation going on in the show. Like they're very very aware and they're very um, open to talking to their fans about it. It's it's kind of wonderful. It's sort of this reversal of of what we saw in previous seasons in some way, but it's not unproblematic. I mean. The Blue Ranger is like a caveman and just there there it still has oh, issues. <laughs> yeah, it still has like some not so great issues. Um but compared to the previous season, it's like it's fun. It's actually a fun season to watch. It's actually fun. I, I watched a bit of RPM because I was also led Ooh. to that one. Uh, I was quite surprised by that one. It has the opposite problem of most of these Power Rangers shows where the the Western footage that they've shot is substantially more interesting than the Sentai footage <laughs> that they're adapting. Well, I mean, it's a, uh, it's, they really went, they, 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 man, they really went all out with that. It's like, it's, it's dark and edgy, but not in that stupid, dark, edgy Power Rangers trailer that just came out a couple months ago kind of way, but in no. a way that's actually smart and works. And that's still, you know, aimed at a younger yeah, exactly. audience. Yeah, no, RPM was fantastic. You had this post-apocalyptic, Power Ranger series produced by Disney that you know and the d- Japanese footage they were trying to adapt is kind of like a joke which is that yeah, was a parody they, it was a parody show yeah and but the, and the this RPM had this sort of like meta sense about that so they'd sort of make fun of themselves which I also appreciated but R- RPM is a pretty solid show halfway through I think they fired the producer uh, I heard about that yeah yeah and so like the producer left and took a lot of his ideas with him so the series, there's a lot of things in the series that you know we're heading for something different, and that never really, like, there was never, re- that, that, what you, what you were hoping for never quite happened, but they still resolved it in a pretty decent way, I think. So, it's a pretty solid series, for sure. Yeah. Recommended, if you haven't checked it out. It's, 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 it's pretty surprising. For sure, for sure. Just watch the first episode of RPM, and you'll, you will, if you haven't watched Power Rangers in a long time or never watched it, you will probably be surprised. Yeah. So my original plan was actually to try and get you on one of the roundtable discussions about TV we did. Mm. But I, you know, given how our conversation has gone today, clearly there was a lot more I could, we could, we could, we could <laughs> talk about in terms of Lilola. Oh yeah. One other question. What, what did Lilola mean again? Oh, um, I had a friend, the same friend who showed me like the website she made. And she kept saying the phrase, she put like L and like all sorts of like vowels together. And the first three that she put together were like Lee, Lola, I think it was Lee Lai or whatever, Lee Lu, whatever. And I just really kind of liked it and I was just trying to come up with a username. So I just put it in. It doesn't really have any fancy meaning or anything like that. It was just, I need to create a username. Okay, this works. <laughs> but 
that just makes me think of think of Lolly Lule Lo from Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, we don't have to talk about we we don't need to talk about that though. No. <laughs> so so anyway, I w- I plan to have you on one of the roundtables, but obviously there was more we can talk about on a one-on-one interview. But I'd still like to ask you the questions that I asked the the roundtable participants as well. Sure. Uh, so the first one, I think we we kind of already covered it a little bit, but what really standout memories do you have of anime on Canadian TV? Oh, wow. I think the first anime I really watched, I'm not sure which one it is, but it's either Samurai Pizza Cats or Techno Man. Mm-hmm. And Techno Man, I think it was only aired on UPN, but for reasons I don't understand, my Fox affiliate was showing it. And I watched that show so much. I absolutely adored it. And I don't think I could watch it again now, uh, especially realizing how heavily it was cut up for yeah, like North American television. But I really, really loved it. And of course, I watched, you know, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. Sailor Moon was this huge thing for me that, like, I feel like changed my life. Pokemon, Escaflone, Digimon, Gundam Wing, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Those were, like, these big series for me. And I watched them, like, I would have not, probably have not watched them had they not been on Canadian TV. And also, like, they introduced me to other things. So, like, Escaflone, I was super excited about and i ended up going to a comic book shop downtown and buying like a vhs box set that was put out by animevillage.com oh, yeah. right and i but that introduced me to like okay you can get like official subs sometimes and things like that so like it these shows introduced me to these other other shows for and other like access to like information and uh, subs etc cetera, etc cetera, about anime yeah i remember with escaflone that that was actually I was renting the subbed videos as YTV was airing the dubbed series, <laughs> and I was comparing them. And, um, you know, like I pointed out before, I was surprised by how few changes there were towards the end when they, you know, they weren't editing editing yeah. it for Fox anymore. And especially the second time around. The second yeah. airing was... Oh, at the end, they aired the first episode with it the second time around, which is... It was, which, which is, is cool. wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, some of those series uh, that I mentioned don't have, hold up that well. I, you had a really good conversation about Gundam Wing, I think, in your last episode. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I tried to rewatch that, and I remember watching that in middle school and thinking it was the coolest thing, and look at all these, like, big political issues, and oh my gosh, and then rewatching it uh, a couple years ago, and I didn't even finish it. I was like, this is just this, this is this is how politics work. This is really simple. I used to think this was really complicated. There's like no character building. What's going on? Did, did you ever watch Seed? No, I didn't. I watched bits and pieces of Seed, yeah. but I didn't. I didn't uh, watch Seed. Mm-hmm. No, I was sort of out of watching anime. I think at that time, uh, mostly because I was in school and I didn't have that much time. But yeah, I, I guess you didn't fit, follow Bionics all the way through. I just definitely did not follow Bionics. I, I pretty much at all. I was sort of that was around the time when I stopped watching a lot of anime. Uh, sadly, that that said, still, do you think there were any missed opportunities for anime on TV? Hmm. I think I would have had a lot more answers to this question about a decade ago. But yeah. since I haven't been watching that much anime since then. Um, I was thinking of this after listening to your previous shows. I was thinking of, like, how cool it would have been to have more shows that were, like, the anti-gravity room. And, you know, at the time when Lilola was, 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 like, really popular, people were so hungry for information about anime. And there wasn't much as much info out there as there is today. So it would have been really cool to have shows or things that would give people access to that information. Uh, I always loved behind-the-scenes stuff. So I remember, I, I I don't have it on tape, but I remember The Zone 
in like 1995, maybe early 96. I have this vague memory of them visiting the studio in Toronto where they dubbed Sailor Moon. And they did this like behind the scenes tour. The voice of Luna like was sort of their, their guide. And they were looking at merchandise and they were looking at all this stuff. And it was so exciting for me. It was like the coolest thing because it was this behind the scene look at the show that I was absolutely adored. The show that had captured my imagination. And I would have loved to have more, um, at the time, you know, now there's the internet, but at the time, like more television shows that gave us sort of that behind the scenes access to a lot of that kind of stuff. I think that would be really cool. Um, what else? I think that's a great I, thing that I think was unique about YTV and, you know, probably, mm-hmm. probably still is something they do is the way they sort of, they present things just beyond the text. They dig under the text and, and just sort of present it at, like the whole, the whole production around it as well. I mean, I mean, they're back in 95, they were probably one of the only networks that were actually not only showing anime, but talking about it and presenting it as this discernible thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, uh, anti-gravity room was also, you know, talking about comic books and video games and, and, I actually went and I looked up some of the clips on uh, YouTube of the old shows and they're interviewing, you know, industry professionals. And there's this like kind of in a lot of ways, this behind the scenes look of like how the logic behind the capitalism behind the merchandising and things like that. Like it's it's kind of a really interesting show and it makes transparent a lot of things that are more hidden even today. It, it was really fantastic. And I would have loved to see something more like that. Even today, I think some yeah. a show like that could could probably still work depending on how you do it uh other missed opportunities i think especially maybe about a decade ago shows maybe a little bit before that shows like get backers and prince of tennis these are shows that had a huge like fandom Mm -hmm. a huge following and they didn't really air i don't think get backers ever aired on a north american television prince of tennis aired on toonami for a little bit yeah and i don't know how it did there but i don't think it it did well But it, the, the entire oh, well. the, the entire block was sort of on a downturn at that point, so I don't mm-hmm. I don't think you, you could really fairly assess it. Yeah, but I think like th- th- that show, you know, had such a large and still this day still has a really large fan base. So I think like shows like that I think would have been kind of cool to see on on a station like YTV. Has any station ever showed Madoka? In Australia, yeah, not because <laughs> I, I m- m- yeah Madoka would be a cool thing to see on TV as well. You'd have to get. You know, it would have to show up on a network that really knows the content, knows what they're doing, knows how to present it, knows how Absolutely. to pitch it. But if, I mean, if you know what you're doing with a show like Monica, it's it could be it could be pretty huge. Yeah. So that would I think that would be my answer to that question. Yeah. So do you have any expectations for the future? Maybe not of anime on TV, but of television in general? Uh, well, I'm glad you sort of clarified that because I don't watch Television, yeah. or definitely don't watch anime on television. I'm streaming things on Crunchyroll now and then, and that's about it. But I don't know. I honestly don't know. I would love to see more representation in general on television of uh, anyone who isn't a white straight dude. Yeah. <laughs> to be very frank, I would love it. And that's. I think that would be what I really would love to see more on television and more diverse storytelling. Uh, there's a great post going around on Tumblr of like all the shows on CW and how they're like basically all like just this wall of pictures of white, pretty much except for I think one white straight people. Uh, and that, that really shows, you know, there's so many stories that we're not hearing. There's so many stories that, that could be told. There's so many people that don't get to see themselves represented. And I would love to see, you know, more diversity for sure on television. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. 
CW in particular, I mean, they, they, really, <laughs> they, they, they really thrive off the whole, you know, two white guys who aren't really gay, but kind of, uh, queer baiting fun queer, times. Yeah, queer baiting fun times, exactly. Yeah. I did get one question submission, uh, this Uh-oh. week. Uh, you probably can't really answer it because, uh, it's about sort of the later bionics. It's from Muhammad Advol, who I don't think is actually the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure character, uh, but he's borrowing his name for this. Uh, he asked, what would you say killed bionics? Was it a show? Uh, I don't think it was any particular show. I think it just had to do with politics and the direction that the station was going. I remember hearing that there was some staff shuffles going around on the show around the time that that bionics ended you know the shift of to saturdays from fridays happened after death note ended i don't think it had anything to do with death note i think it was just allowing that show to end on its own terms and then shifting the block away to saturday to die essentially um i really like what mark said about back in the first episode about the idea that about this perception that anime as a fad was ending and wasn't worth pursuing anymore. And while it is kind of true that anime, what the anime fad was going away, I don't think that that makes anime no longer worthwhile to sort of pursue. And I think when you have a large diverse medium with anime, I think you, you need to recognize and understand the potential that you have with, with that kind of content. But I don't think it was because of any one show. Yeah. So that's, that's it for the question submissions. I am going to say we're doing an episode soon on online streaming specifically, and we want to talk about issues like accessibility in Canada, the tendency for people to use services like Hola or other VPNs to get around geoblocking, whether people find this to be ethical mm. or whether or not uh, you know we should accept a status quo where we just use them. Is it okay for companies to just silently condone their use? Should they be more actively including the Canadian audience in this kind of thing? I want to do a full episode exploring that in the near future. I want to hear what you guys think about issues like accessibility and online streaming, use of VPNs, the certain ethics surrounding all these things, what could change for the better. You can either submit your thoughts to me on the contact form at zonin.ca or tweet me at jbetteridge. So, Pan, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Alright, that was Zon in Canada. I hope you enjoyed the show. Big thanks to Pan for stopping by today. As always, you can find me at zonin.ca. Theme song is by Ultra Klystron. You can check out his stuff at ultraklystron.com. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it. See you all next time. <laughs>